Pale Blue Pod, the astronomy podcast for people who are overwhelmed by the universe but want to be its friends. That's adorable. And that's <laughs> us. Hello, I am Dr. Moy McTeer. I'm an astrophysicist, a folklorist, and a good friend to the universe. And to I me. tell it when it has something in its teeth. <laughs> that is a good friend. For some reason, mm-hmm. I'm always mad at the person who told me that, like briefly, no. as if it was their fault. But it's just like a... <laughs> A immature self-preservation instinct and then I'm like what am I doing <laughs> I'm Corinne Kudo a writer and clearly a mediocre friend <laughs> but a friend to the universe that's okay the the universe also likes to have friends who always tell it it looks great no matter what yes oh my god that's an important friend to have <laughs> mm-hmm. um, um Corinne you you don't have any food in your teeth right now thank god Probably do a little bit in the back. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I'm not, I'm, I don't have like any sort of magnifying glass but or something. But we might have food in our teeth soon because I brought us to a good old fashioned all American diner. Yes. One of the best places in the world. Um, 24 hours, obviously. Of course it's 24 hours. And of course the fries are really good. Mm-hmm. And they let you order Crispy. like a Diet Coke and a coffee and an orange juice and a water. Mm-hmm. With free refills. Yes. Yes. And they do milkshakes here. Oh, I'm excited. I wonder how their onion rings are. Oh, my God. Very good. Because once okay. I got one in my fries, as a, <gasps> as a mistake. But I call it, it a feels, surprise. Yeah. It feels like they're they're just giving you a little gift on purpose or yeah. like a little free, like a free sample. Exactly. It's a little treat. <laughs> a little treat. <laughs> um, we are going to be talking about a big treat today. Um, It is probably not many people's favorite planet, but some people's for sure. Yeah. Corinne, where does it fall in your ranking? Um, I don't know. Gosh, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know where I put this one. Probably high. Really? Let me say Earth, then Mars, Mm -hmm. then Saturn, then Jupiter. Okay, so we're, it's already in bottom 50%. It's in the bottom 50 It's probably five. It might okay. be tied for five with Venus. Interesting. I think that is like a warm take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listeners, today we're talking about Corinne's fifth or sixth favorite planet, <laughs> Neptune. <laughs> I think for me it falls, yeah, definitely lower 50. It's not that it's not a good one. Yeah, it just it's just... Fine. Less, it's not super yeah. remarkable. Not no shade. No shade no to shade. Neptune. No shade. And absolutely no shade to all the people out there who are self-proclaimed Neptune stands. It is a perfectly lovely planet. It is the nachos in in the <laughs> well-known uh, mnemonic device. And who who here doesn't love nachos? I know. People with bad taste, right? Totally. So. Neptune is fantastic, but when compared to the other absolute powerhouses that we have in our solar system, it just doesn't have that many qualities that make it stand out. Right. It's not even the only blue planet. It's not the only ice giant. It's not the only one with high density. Like, it's it's average. Yeah. I think that's why maybe it should rank higher because of that. Because mm. it's reliable. And, and it is. isn't that a great quality? Yeah. You're right. You're right. It is reliable and and humble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's let's not disregard humility. This is our campaign as... for Neptune. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get it into most people's top fifty percent if if we have to exactly strain our voices trying. 
Uh, okay, well, then let's just start talking about Neptune. This is the first planet we have covered in our um, non-contiguous planet series that wasn't one of the wandering stars. So this is the first one we're covering that isn't visible with the naked eye, which means we actually can talk about how it was discovered. Although we did Pluto. Pluto was our very first episode, so... Oh, right. Never mind it. But Pluto, by most people's reckoning, not officially a planet. So... Right. Still counts. But the official stance of Pale Blue Pod is that, yes, it is just a special category of planet. All right. Neptune, the planet, was first seen on purpose... (laughs) On September 23rd and 24th, 1846. I specify on purpose because other astronomers had observed it before, but they didn't know what it was. Galileo himself actually wrote about it um, in the 1600s when he started using telescopes to look up at the night sky. But he dismissed it as a planet because it was moving too slowly and he assumed that it was one of the more distant Mm. fixed stars. But that's just because it's really far away. Mm-hmm. And so it was seen for the first time intentionally on September 23rd, 1846, by a man named Johann Gottfried Galle. He's German. It's G-A-L-L-E. And if it weren't German, I would say Gaye, but mm. but he's German. So I'm saying Galle, and other people can just correct me in their heads if they want to. <laughs> <laughs> so it was seen by Johann Galle, but other people share in the discovery credit for it. In 1781, Uranus was discovered. That was the first planet we discovered using telescopes. And we saw it and observed its orbit for almost one full period, which, by the way, takes 84 years. But we saw it and we were like, that planet isn't always where we think it's supposed to be. And we remember from our last episode on Kepler and Newton's laws, people by the 1780s had a pretty good understanding of how planets move around the solar system. There were equations that they could use to predict where a planet would be when. Mm -hmm. And based on those equations, Uranus was doing something funky. So they figured out that something must be beyond Uranus's orbit that's perturbing uh, the shape of its orbit. When people started using math to predict where that other planet, they assumed, might be. Um, Uranus takes 84 years to complete an orbit. So in 1845, which is about 60 years after it was discovered, it hadn't completed a full orbit, but it was kind of close. Two scientists independently used those math equations to predict where the planet should be uh, the next year in 1846. And those two scientists were, I apologize in advance, (laughs) Urbane Jean-Joseph Leverrier. I'm sorry. And John Couch Adams. I can say John John Couch Adams. John Couch Adams. That one we got. (laughs) We got that. Also, I love how people had to use their middle names because they were... John Adams, John are you Adams. kidding me? Imagine <laughs> the Facebook where you search someone's name. <laughs> oh, oh, it would have been over. There would have been thousands of, I'm sure there are a bunch of John Adams now, but. Oh, yeah. yeah. So um, obviously, Le Verrier was French and John Couch Adams was English. <laughs> and they, completely separately from each other, predicted Uh, this mystery planet's location. And then uh, the next year in 1846, John Galley 
probably not Gaillet, used an observatory in Berlin uh, and Leverrier's prediction to spot the planet. And Leverrier's prediction was just one degree off from where Galley spotted it. And I think it was like 10 or 11 degrees off from where John Couch Adams had predicted it would be. There was a lot of tension over who should get credit for this discovery, especially Mm. between the British and the French. But ultimately, the credit ended up being split between the three of them, the two people who predicted its location, and then the one who saw it through a telescope for the first time. Galley, the person who saw it through a telescope, wanted to call it Giannis. Do you know of Giannis? No. The Roman god. I don't. So by this point, the naming convention for the planets had been set. We'll talk about this in the Uranus episode, but it originally wasn't going to be called Uranus. And then people were like, but we have this pattern. And so he he named it Uranus. And for this one, um, Galley wanted it to be named Giannis, who is the Roman god of doorways and transitions. And uh, I couldn't find any, any source for why he wanted to call it that. I, as a folklorist and an astrophysicist, don't think that's a very appropriate name for this planet, if okay. I'm being completely honest. Yeah. Giannis, as the god of doorways and transitions and liminal spaces, would be much more appropriate for Mercury um, because it's the Ooh. first planet. So it's like transitioning between the, the solar space and the planetary space. Also, Mercury, we think, might be tidally locked. And Giannis is known as a two-faced god in Roman mythology. Yeah. And uh, so a tidal locked planet would have two faces. But we already named it Mercury, which is appropriate because it's very fast. So no Giannis. I say no Giannis. And I'm glad he didn't win. It was the French, Le Verrier, who suggested Neptune, or like Neptunus, as it might be in French. (laughs) And other people just started adopting it more and more, and that became the official name for the planet. So the planet's discovered September, end of September 1846, very soon after, on the 10th of October, just 17 days later, if you don't want to do that math out. An English astronomer named William Lassell discovered a moon around Neptune using a telescope he built himself with funds that he had earned in profit from his brewery business. So we know about this first moon of Neptune thanks to beer. I love that. Cheers to Neptune. <laughs> Cheers to Neptune, yes. Um, excuse me, can we can we get a couple of beers over here? <laughs> Okay, great. They're here. Cheers, Cheers. to Neptune. <laughs> Got to play into it. You correct. do. I'm really glad you did. <laughs> I forget. <laughs> Would you like to talk about some of the planet's characteristics now? Yes. Some numbies? Talking about its orbit, Neptune is about 30 astronomical units away from the sun, so it's 30 times further than Earth is from the sun. And in miles, it's about 2.8 billion <gasps> miles away from the sun. It's wow. real far. Really Very far. Very far. How long do you think it takes Neptune to orbit if it's if it's that far away? Oh my god, and it takes Uranus 84 years? Mhm. Good memory. 100 I'm I'm doubling it, like 170 yes. years. Yes, it's 165 years. Oh my god. <laughs> Yay. Um it is very far out. It takes a long time to orbit, which is why Galileo was like that's no planet. <laughs> it's way too slow. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but it's not doing it. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. Uh, so 165 years to orbit, but only about 16 hours to rotate. Ooh. So it spins very quickly. That is dizzying. Dizzy, especially because it's big. Yeah, don't give me that ride. It's big. It is four times wider than Earth, and it rotates one and a half times faster. Whoa. No, thank you. Yeah, it, it's it's moving very quickly. So, oh um, God, it, the days are short and the years are long. <laughs> yes. Yes. Is that how you would prefer it? Would you rather have a short day and long year or long day and short year? It's going to totally depend on if my lifespan changes because of this. <laughs> I think lifespan doesn't correlate that much to that. Then I'd rather have longer days. Mm. Eh, I don't know. Yeah, we're in winter yeah. right now, so I'm like, I want a longer day, and then I like get more done in a day. But in the summer, I'm I'm satisfied. I think I also want long days. I want long days and short years. I love a fresh start or the excuse of a fresh start. We, yeah. yeah, and then you see, because I'm thinking about like how we would develop astronomy faster if we mm. had shorter years, because then we would get like more observations of things <gasps> sure, closer sure. together in different parts of the sky. Speaking of seasons, they do have seasons very similar to Earth's, but each season is like 40 years because their, their <laughs> year is so long. Uh, their tilt is about 28 degrees, so very similar to Earth. Their eccentricity is very low. It's 0.01. It's lower than Earth's. I think the only planet less eccentric than that is Venus. Well, tied, tied with Venus, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Your your list of, of favorites or your ranking the is actually just in, ranking. just in order of eccentricity. You got to base it in data. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just too subjective. Yeah. Uh, the, the weird thing about this, though, we often talk about Neptune being the furthest planet from the sun. But every 248 Earth years, Pluto is closer to the sun than Neptune for about 20 years because Pluto's orbit is so eccentric. It's the most eccentric in the solar system. And then it goes back to being the, the most distant object. The most recent time this happened was 1979 to 1999. And I'm so mad, Corinne. I'm so mad. We didn't know. That I missed it. I didn't know. Yeah. I would have celebrated that whole time. I would have been like, 20 years hey, Pluto's of bliss. closer. <laughs> yeah. And I missed it. And my parents, they didn't tell me. Everyone, you have to leave this in a note to your great-great-grandchildren. <laughs> I'm laughing, but you do. You do actually have to do that. We're requiring it as yes. homework. If you want to be a part of Pale Lupod, it's going in your will right now. Yeah, you must must send us proof that you, you have left a note for your progeny to celebrate the 20 years. Get on LegalZoom.com and make your will. I actually, I actually um, have decided to make my will this year. My mom was like... Moya. I know. Somebody else told me I need to do that, too. And I was like, yeah. that's spooky. I know. Oh, I don't want to do it, but I, I'm going to. In the last year of my 20s, I'm going to try to really do a lot of adult stuff. Don't worry. I'm in my 30s and didn't do it. OK, great. <laughs> <laughs> but I do now make doctor's appointments for myself. And that is growing up. <sighs> that is capital A adulting right there. And we don't have ZocDoc in Maine. Or like, oh, not no. really. So, yeah. I'm I'm doing the very grown-up thing of getting on the phone. No, not the phone. You're hell? talking to them with your voice. Isn't that hell? That's disgusting. It's I'm horrible. so sorry. It's actually horrible. But when I hang up, I feel bad. It's going to be like <laughs> in the moment it sucks, it's but worth when it. it's over, it's also bad. It's also bad. bad. <laughs> 
because usually a second call needs to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you have to actually do the appointment. Exactly. Ugh. Anyway, I hope you do make your will and make sure to include that note. Yes. I will. I will. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I think I said this before, but Neptune is four times wider than Earth. If you do out the math for the volume, you could fit about 60 Earths inside of Neptune. Big. I think it's like 57. It's big. Yeah. And it's almost 25 times more massive than the Earth. That gives it like 5% of Jupiter's mass. And the gravity is ever so slightly stronger on Neptune than it is here on Earth. Um, Here on Earth, the acceleration due to gravity, the number, we say that it's 10 meters per second. It's actually, it's 9.8 meters per second squared. But we can say that it's 10. And on Neptune, it's 11 meters per second squared. Very close. Very close. It is one of two ice giants in our solar system. So in the in our solar system, we have the rocky or terrestrial bodies. And then we have uh, Uranus and Neptune, which are the ice giants. And then we have Jupiter and Saturn, which are the gas, gas. giants. Yeah. Yay. We are pretty sure that Neptune has a small core that's like Earth that is just a little bit more massive than Earth, actually. So it's almost like there, there's an Earth in, inside the core of Neptune that's made of silicates and iron and nickel and, and like rock like we have. The pressure there is high enough to uh, technically produce diamonds out of carbon. And so um, some people will say that it rains diamonds on the surface yes, of Neptune. I, used, I was someone who would say that at um, mm-hmm. the Space Center. Yes, yes. Um, so the pressure technically high enough to produce diamonds, although it's not like we have any sort of direct observation of diamond rain. This is just something that, you know, theoretically could, possible. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Could technically it's like happen. cloudy with a chance of meatballs. <laughs> a chance, a chance of diamond rain. Yes. Uh, After the solid core in the center, you have um, most of the planet's radius being taken up by a mantle, Um, except instead of being a magma mantle like we have here on Earth, they have an icy mantle of water, methane, and ammonia ice. They call it ice because it it does have properties of ice and it is Mm -hmm. slushy in that way, but it is very, very hot. Ooh. The temperatures there are, I'll, I'll give it to you in, in Fahrenheit, actually. I have, I have Kelvin and Celsius and Fahrenheit. In Fahrenheit, it's 3,000 to 8,500 degrees. Oh, my God. But it's icy. But there's so but you icy. can always relax in the cool ice bath. Of, <laughs> it's like the spa from hell. Yeah. This is a piece of advice, friends. If you are talking to an astronomer or a physicist or someone who deals with space objects, and they say that something is any sort of relative temperature. If they say that it's cold, cool, warm, or hot, you need to ask them for an absolute temperature (laughs) because no scientist who works on space will be able to agree on what is cold and what is hot and what's in between. That's very funny. I haven't (laughs) thought about that, but of course that's true. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Like, this is... This is ice, but it's thousands of degrees. I honestly can't picture what you're talking. Like, I can't get my head around what you're saying right now. Later on, I'm going to use the term lava ice. So just get ready. Yeah, it really <laughs> Mentally prepare <bad>. yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'd say picture slush. Picture the corner of a New York City intersection 
in February. That is hot slush somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really is. It's hot, smelly slush. And that is what most of Neptune is made out of. It's made of New York City. Yum. Love it. I actually do love it. I love this little trash island (laughs) so much. Hey, it's Corinne. Moya is flagging down our server for some more onion rings, and I wanted to take a minute and thank our patrons who support the show every single month. So thank you, as always, to our Sunlike stars, Sharn Llewellyn, Lissa, Scott Reynolds, and Ian O'Leary. And of course, you can support us and hear your name on the show and make it to the patron star chart all by supporting us on Patreon for just about a dollar per episode. And if you sign up for an annual membership, you get a 13% discount, which is pretty good. You can find the star chart, Patreon info, and more at our website, palebluepod.com, or by going right to patreon.com slash palebluepod. And if you can't support us financially, that's totally fine. We love you very much. You can support us by reviewing the show on whatever app you use and by sharing the show with your friends. And I also have a podcast in the Multitude family to recommend before you go. It's Multitude's newest show, Big Game Hunger. It's a weekly comedy show where Jenna Steber and friends craft the next big video game. It starts with randomly generated genres, concepts, and vibes. And Jenna and a variety of funny and game-obsessed guests will take these ideas far enough that they can pitch it to some shadowy board of rich investors. By the end of the episode, they have honed an IP so irresistible, you'll be ready to risk $25 for it on Steam. You can laugh about games you love, learn about game trends, and yearn for the titles that will surely never make their release date every Monday with Big Game Hunger. Okay, back to the show. Above the mantle, it does have an atmosphere that is mostly hydrogen, helium, and methane gas. And that atmosphere is the windiest planet in our solar system. It might be one of the windiest bodies in our solar system, like including moons. So it's actually like Chicago. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, and the center is like Tempe, Arizona. Yes. <laughs> All of the great spots of the U.S. can be found on Neptune. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's say the center is like L.A. and then the mantle is New York and then the atmosphere is Chicago. Sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that Chicago-like atmosphere can have winds of up to 1,200 miles per hour. For reference, the fastest winds that you would find here on Earth, you would get like 250 miles per hour winds. Neptune, actually, when you dig into it, is a very extreme planet. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The temperatures at the top of the clouds are around 360 degrees Fahrenheit. Still hotter than you would expect for a planet so far out in the solar system. But that's because there's so much happening inside. There are a lot of processes going on internally, but we're still trying to understand them because we haven't been able to study Neptune directly Mm -hmm. very much. Just a couple more numbies. Uh, It has a magnetic field that is about 27 times stronger than Earth's. And its magnetic field is really unaligned with its axis of rotation. It's off by 47 degrees. Like the magnetic field lines are kind of unstable in their shape, I'll say. Hmm. Like it's not that the strength is fluctuating all that much, but the location and the orientation of the magnetic field lines changes a lot on Neptune. 
It does have rings. It's probably not a planet that you associate with no. rings, but it has about six of them that we have discovered. And then there are these uh, very bright spots on some of the rings that we call arcs. Um, and it looks like it's just denser regions mm -hmm. of the material that make up the rings, which is mostly dust and some pebbles. But they're all very dark. They look pretty dark because the material on those um, pebbles has been exposed to a lot of radiation out in the solar system. Oh, okay. The rings have names. From the, the center out, they are called Galley for the person who saw Neptune for the first time. Then there's Le Verrier, who predicted the position. There's Lassell, who found the first moon. There's Arago, who was a, a French physicist and politician, Francois Arago. And for some reason, they named one of the rings after him. And I couldn't, fig I couldn't find why. It doesn't seem like he discovered any of the moons or he wasn't really involved with this. I, I don't know why he's there, but they found this very faint ring in like the late 80s and then they named it after this French dude. And then the, the last ring is named after Adams, who John Couch Adams. Um, and it's the Adams ring that has those little arcs on it. But we didn't confirm that the rings existed until 1989, thanks to the Voyager 2 probe, uh, which is actually the only mission, the only spacecraft to um, study Neptune up close. Uh, the Voyager 2 spacecraft launched in 1977, reached Neptune in 1989, confirmed the rings, revealed six moons, told us about like what it looks like up close and, and revealed some storms. And it was very, very cool information, but it was just doing a flyby. It's It wasn't like it was specifically sent to study Neptune. Actually, mm -hmm. Voyager was sent to study like Jupiter, Saturn, and, and the outer solar system. But it did confirm the rings, so thank you, Voyager. Thanks, Voyager. We have found 14 moons. We found 14 <gasps> moons around Neptune. The first one was discovered uh, right after the planet was found in October of 1846. The second was discovered in 1949. Then there was one in 1981, and then a bunch when Voyager reached Neptune in 1989. Since then, we've been studying Neptune with um, Hubble and with other telescopes that we have access to here on Earth. And uh, all together, we found 14 of them. All of the moons are named after water figures, like water deities and nymphs from mythology. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, and, and because we've only sent the one thing to study Neptune, the, the section on what, how have we studied Neptune is also very light. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I think I'm surprised that it was as recent as 1989. Yeah, before that, we were just doing distant observations of it. Yeah. Because it's not a very remarkable planet, and so Aww. it hasn't been at the top of the list for people to send a spacecraft to. You yeah. know, like we really wanted to send something to Jupiter. We wanted to send something to Saturn. Um, we now even have missions that are planned for specific moons around Jupiter and Saturn before, before we're getting Neptune. a Neptune-specific one. You'll get your due, Neptune. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe one day. I think, honestly, we're probably just going to, like, do another outer solar system mission. Yeah. I don't think Neptune or Uranus will get their own dedicated missions anytime soon. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah, because they're expensive. Oh, my God. Are they expensive? Mm-hmm. If you have no other questions about or reactions to Neptune... I think I know what's next. I have a game. 
<laughs> yes, we are returning to our classic Match the Moons game, where I try to describe the mythological figure that the moon is named after, and Corinne tells me which moon it is. Yay. And then I, I also tell you about the moon. <laughs> I love doing these games so much, because it's really... It's one of the only times on Pale Blue Pod that I get to talk about my my folklore stuff. So Yeah, this is the perfect overlap of your interests. Yeah. One time I did a show at Caveat, and one of the games I was supposed to play was guess if this is a real moon or if it's a type of cat. And I was I got a perfect score, not oh because I can name all of the moons, but because I know the naming conventions yes. for all of the moons. And so I can tell if something is a figure from mythology or a cat. That's very cool. It was a great time. Okay, I have five moon options for you. I took five of the 14. Notice that I did not tell you any of the names of the moons during the first part of the episode. Now I know why. Mm-hmm. I wanted you to come into this open, open heart, open mind. <laughs> <laughs> I have five for you. In alphabetical order, okay. their names are Galatea, Hippocamp, Proteus, Thalassa, and Triton. Um, you can look at the notes for this episode because I have hidden the answers <gasps> in white ink. So as long as you don't highlight, okay, you won't see the answer. You got it. Great. Some of these names I know. Or oh, one good. of them. Which one? I know Triton from... The Little Mermaid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> uh, okay. Option number one. This god of the sea was the son of Poseidon and his wife Amphitrite. So, you know, like a whole legitimate birth, which is kind mm-hmm. of rare in, in Greek mythology. In art, he was often depicted with a fishtail, occasionally crab claws, horns, and or horse-like forelegs. For Whoa. some reason, there was a lot of dispute over over this person's appearance. Uh, he was said to use a conch shell to raise the waves or to herald his father Poseidon's approach. Hmm. Who is this person? Well, I think I'm just going to say Triton because that's what I know. But he is a I mean, I, I can't remember if Little Mermaid's dad was Poseidon or was named Triton. Mm. But I know he had the that sword the thing. Trident. That is what I'm thinking of. Yeah, he had the trident, which is like the pitchfork type thing. I think he is he is Triton in The Little Mermaid. So I'm going to say him because he has fishtail. Yes. <gasps> Yay! Yay! Congratulations. <laughs> One point for Corinne. Uh, it is indeed Triton. This is Neptune's largest and brightest moon. It was the moon that was discovered first by William Lassell. Uh, it is the only moon in the, the Neptune system and perhaps in the solar system. I couldn't confirm this for sure, but it is definitely Neptune's only moon to rotate in the opposite direction of the planet's rotation. So it is always in retrograde. Which makes me think that if there were Neptunians, that, that would that would be interesting. They would be pissed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is locked in synchronous rotation with Neptune, much like our moon is to us. So one side of Triton is always facing Neptune and one side is always facing away. It is believed that it was originally a Kuiper Belt object that uh, was captured by Neptune's gravity. 
That's how they think it formed. It is very dense, and its surface appears to have mounds and craters formed by flows of icy lava. <gasps> Do I know what that means? No. Icy lava. <laughs> Can I picture it? Not really. But it's icy lava. Yeah. I'll take it. So, you know, volcanoes full of New York City winter sludge is what... <laughs> We must imagine. Um, Triton has its own atmosphere, but it's very thin, and it's mostly made of nitrogen with a little bit of methane gas thrown in. It is one of the coldest bodies in the entire solar system. The nitrogen in its atmosphere actually usually freezes out and mostly exists as frost. And that frost, because it's a light color, it reflects something like 70% of the light that shines onto Triton, which actually has this feedback effect of making the moon even colder. So the surface temperatures are around negative 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. Yeah. Great job. Are you ready for number two? Yes, I am. This sea god had the gift of prophecy and was said to herd Poseidon's seals. Poseidon had a flock of seals. And, of and this person herded them, of course. He could also shapeshift which helped him evade people who sought his prophetic gift. Um, that was important because every day at noon, he would leave the water and he would take a nap on the shore where anyone could find him and ask him a question. Uh, and he had to answer. So in the Odyssey, he's actually captured by a Trojan hero and forced to tell the hero's future. Mm -hmm. Who is this person? Um, I'm going to say Hippocamp. Why? It is a guess, but I'm thinking hippocamp. I know we named part of the brain the hippocampus, and I'm mm. thinking if you have the gift of prophecy, maybe it's like a brain thing. Oh, very smart. Too smart. <laughs> I overthought it. You overthought it. <laughs> um, I will tell you about the moon, and then you can get a second guess. Okay. This moon was one of the ones discovered by the Voyager 2 spacecraft, although people were surprised that it took so long to find this moon because it's one of Neptune's larger ones. Uh, it has a box-like shape, though, so it's not quite large enough to have turned into a sphere. It orbits Neptune every 27 hours, so it's very close to the planet, and it's pretty dark. It only reflects about 6% of the light that shines on it, and we are pretty sure that that's why it wasn't found earlier, because it's so close and it doesn't um, emit light. Okay. I don't think that any of that information would have helped you, but you but just like, get another guess. I get guess. another guess. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm going to say... Proteus. Yes! Yay! I guessed that because I thought the other names are a little feminine. Interesting. And I don't know if that's true either. Okay. <laughs> I love hearing your reasoning. <laughs> I'm just answers. convincing myself of something so I'm not paralyzed by choice. <laughs> like, yeah, you're, you're doing great. Number three <laughs> says... This nymph was a Nereid. So the Nereids were 50 daughters of an ancient sea god named Nereus, uh, and the Nereids controlled the calm seas. In one story, this particular Nereid attracted the attention of the giant cyclops Polyphemus, who attempted to woo her with pipe playing and gifts of milk and cheese, which honestly would work for me. I'm not going to lie. If you play yeah. some pipes and you give me some milk and cheese. I'm at least sticking around. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like do those things. You're at least a six in my eyes. Like I can, I, I can work with that. 
<laughs> uh, she was not interested in return. She was much more attracted to a handsome human named Akis. And Polyphemus, in a classic Cyclops, toxic masculinity fashion, got mad and crushed Akis underneath a rock. <gasps> just, just crushed him dead. No. And from the rivers of blood that spilled out from under the rock, this nymph... Uh, used her powers to turn him into a stream. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's dark. It's and a I lot. know so much of folklore mythology is. <laughs> um, okay. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess between the two feminine names, which is Thalassa and Galatea. I'm gonna go with Gal. Yeah, it's our Gal. It's our Gal, our nymph Gal. <laughs> Why was it a toss up? What made you choose her? This story felt a little familiar. Mm. And I don't know if that's true, but Gal Galatea feels like a more familiar name to me than the Lassa. Love it. Great. Oh, you're you're like two and a half for three. I love yeah, that. and now I have two names left. So 50-50 yeah. for the end. <laughs> I think you're going to get this next one. Well, for, actually, first, <laughs> let me tell you about the moon. Oh, yes. Uh, the moon Galatea is a tiny, tiny moon. It was discovered by the Voyager 2 spacecraft. It is so small and irregular shaped, and yet its gravity is still strong enough to perturb Neptune's ring system. So it is small but mighty. Whoa. And I really respect that. Love that. Um, it orbits Neptune every 10 hours, and that is about everything that's worth knowing about this moon. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Number four. This creature is the mythological equivalent of the seahorse. It's <gasps> depicted as a horse with fish tails and occasionally even wings. Uh, they were the mounts or the steeds of the sea nymphs and the nereids. And Poseidon was said to drive a chariot pulled by them. Also, this creature inspired the name for a region of the brain. <gasps> the hippocamp! Or just hippocamp. <laughs> It is the hippocamp. This moon was discovered by Mark Showalter, who is a, a professional astronomer. On July 1st, 2013, he was using the Hubble spacecraft data. They were um, publicly available, I think, or maybe he requested his own, own observation. I'm not sure. The, the data was taken between 2004 and 2009. I am sure of that. Mm -hmm. It is... Neptune's smallest moon, and it was described <laughs> when it was discovered as being unusually close to Proteus, which seems like a very shady way of describing yeah. it. Hey, back off. <laughs> <laughs> unusually close. And so one of the hypotheses is that this moon uh, didn't form on its own, but was a piece that chipped off of Proteus, and that's why they're so close together. Also, it orbits Neptune every 23 hours. Now, that's a day I can get behind. Mm -hmm, just a little bit shorter. <laughs> Number five. This primordial goddess was the divine personification of the sea and most likely predated Poseidon and the other Olympians. She and her male counterpart, Pontus, were said to produce fish and other creatures of the sea. Um, and it's, it's likely that she was adopted from older religions in the area before the Greek Olympian pantheon took root. Cool. Well, that's got to be Thalassa. Yeah, it's our girl Thalassa. That's her. 
gotta love her. Um, this is a pretty small moon. It's thought to be made from debris that got knocked off of other moons and rings in the system when Triton was pulled in from the Kuiper Belt. It orbits every like eight-ish hours, but the orbit is decaying. And so the moon is slowly spiraling into Neptune's atmosphere. <gasps> Uh-oh. Yeah, very scary. And actually kind of ironic, given the name, that it, it was named after this primordial, like, maritime creation deity, and it mm-hmm. is the only moon in the system that is actively being uncreated. <gasps> Ooh. This is a little poetic, you know? Yeah. I love that. I love a story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, so many stories with these moons. But not quite as many stories as the moons of Uranus, which are all named after um, literary figures. So... When we do the Uranus episode, we will take a a little trip away from mythology and I'll be describing Shakespeare characters to you. That is fun. Love that. Yay. (laughs) All right. How are you feeling about Neptune now? I think it's still holding steady at my favorite fifth or sixth. Yeah, I don't think it's uh, really moved for me either. It's it's solidly like around four, four, maybe five. Agree. But listeners, maybe it has moved up in your ranking. Uh, Whatever your diner order is, I hope you remember that you are still space, and so is Neptune, and so is this tuna melt that I am about to absolutely devour. And I will need another Diet Coke. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Pale Blue Pod was created by Moya McTeer and Corinne Caputo with help from the Multitude Productions team. Our theme music is by Evan Johnston and our cover art is by Shay McMullen. Our audio editing is handled by the incomparable Misha Stanton. Stay in touch with us and the universe by following at Pale Blue Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or check out our website, palebluepod.com. We're a member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like Pale Blue Pod, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. If you want to support Pale Blue Pod financially, join our community over at patreon.com slash palebluepod. For just about $1 per episode, you get a shout out on one of our shows and access to director's commentary for each episode. The very best way, though, to help Pale Blue Pod grow is to share it with your friends. So send this episode, this link, to one person who you think will like it, and we will appreciate you for forever. Thanks for listening to Pale Blue Pod. You'll hear us again next week. Bye.